For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, 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 and welcome to Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V in Lions right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host at Javanaugh87, and I am here for our very first Victory Monday of the season. And of course, I cannot celebrate Victory Monday alone. I am joined, as always, by the governor, the pro bowler, the all pro, the icebox, Jerry Ball. Jerry, how's it going, my friend? Because I am doing great. Hey, man, you know, it's been, I would call, the best Monday of, of this year. You know, knowing that we finally got us a win, you know, I tell you, you know, it's been a long time coming, you know, so we we really are actually enjoying today. I don't have to hear no nonsense from nobody. I don't get no crazy calls and stuff. Everybody <laughs> wanting a bit whenever we come up or asking me who you think we're going to take with the first pick and things like that. So today was a good day. <laughs> it really was a good day. Did you get any calls from your Vikings friends or did they kind of tuck their tail and run? Well, you know, I didn't get not one call from any Vikings and stuff, but I would tell you, you know, that, hey, you know, even on that note and stuff, it, it's a good day. You know, they they went on and, and, and met, met their faith and uh, the Detroit Lions got the win. So I'm not going to, you know, Throw the dirt on them just yet, but I will tell you it was a better day in Detroit than it was in Minneapolis. <laughs> it definitely was, and it's also a great day when you use betonline.ag, and if you took the Lions, if you took the money line, if you took the spread, you ended up winning. The Lions are now 8-4 and four on the season against the spread, so you know the saying, good teams win, great teams cover. Ah, that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So that's so, so you saying that the Lions has been beating the spread? They have been, according to betonline.ag, that is. Okay. Go ahead on Detroit. Now let's turn that into some W's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that we we'll we'll capitalize on this momentum hopefully going forward here. And hopefully you can use that on Bet Online because it's still your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. So head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. 
Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. And this game started and this game ended with a W and it also ended with a game ball from Dan Campbell to the community of Oxford, Michigan, and those impacted by last week's tragic events. And our thoughts on the Believe in Lions podcast are with Hannah St. Juliana, Tate Muir, Madison Baldwin, Justin Schilling, their families, their loved ones, and everyone impacted by Tuesday's tragic events. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My condolences as well go out to the families and the community. Uh, knowing that no one expected that type of tragedy. And, you know, it's just one of those heartbreaking moments and stuff. And, you know, we just have to walk it out one day at a time. But, you know, my condolences and sympathy goes out to the community as well. And it felt like it really rippled through the Lions locker room. They had decals on the helmets. Almost the entire team and the coaches were warming up in Oxford Wildcat shirts. And even some of the Vikings players started wearing them just as a sign of respect for yeah. the the community of Oxford. So that was very nice to see in such a tough time. Very much so, you know, especially out there in that, that community and stuff, which I'm very familiar with the Oxford community and stuff. I lived out there myself. 13 years, but I lived in Rochester and Bloomfield Hills, which are right adjacent to that whole Oakland. It's out Oakland County, but, you know, I just know in that community, it's not, it's shaking that whole area. Mm-hmm. And, and it's never, not really an easy way for us to just transition from talking about a tragedy just into the world of football. But we do want to just highlight that, it's impacting everyone right now. Lions, Lions fans, Oxford community, and our thoughts are all with the Oxford community currently. And it was nice to see that the Lions could get a win. This was their first in 364 days, one day shy of a year. Their last win was December 6th, 2020. So that's a year ago today over the Chicago Bears. And it's such a good feeling beat a division rival last time beat a division rival this time and did you see the celebration in the locker room after the game uh yes i did <laughs> I, I tell you it was a very festive environment and stuff I even seen uh uh the owner and stuff she jumps in the coach's arm or he picks up one or the other but they was in full celebration as they should be that was one of the things I noticed. You have talked in the past how there used to be a rope between ownership and players. I'm not talking metaphorically a rope. There was literally a yeah. red velvet rope. And Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, never in a locker room, but yeah, uh, you're, you're right. You're right. You know, that that's mostly, you know, one of the most intimate areas is in that locker room and stuff. So the owner comes in and, you know, they're part of, of that. You know, I, I think, you know, for the Lions at the time that they are getting their first win, her being in the locker room, you know, continues to show the support to the coach as well as the players. It was a good day for them, you know, and, and, and being that, you know, they were in a similar situation prior to, 
earlier this year and and didn't get the win and and this time it favored them so that's a good thing completely agree and that is one of the things i noticed is she 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 as in sheila ford hamp was standing with the offensive line right in between frank ragnow and penne sewell and then she we see her in the background hugging alex anzalone it it was just a nice thing to see, and I, I know it's yeah. only one moment, but yeah, yeah, but 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 that is truly unlike before. Mm-hmm. I will say that you know that I've never seen first, Mister Ford. You know, we handshaking. You know, me and we have a whole different, you know, demeanor and engagement, man to man. But as you know, a owner being able to embrace and and even hug a guy. You know, no matter who it is, you know, um, that's, you know, that's letting down, you know, your guard, that's letting down a barrier, that's letting down um, the idea that, you know, uh, you could be pretentious or feel that, you know, in in your, in what uh, Americans call blue bud pedigree, that, you know, <laughs> hey, you know, that you're, you know, you're human. <laughs> Humanizing for sure. It was nice to see. And just hopefully that is the direction the team is heading in where it's more of a family like that. And it was, nice, it was nice to see Dan Campbell after the game too. He, he immediately just praised the players, talked about how nice it was to win for them. He's proud of the team, says that he wanted the team, the players to get that win. And for the team to experience the week after a win, because Dan Campbell, former player, says the week after a win is just a little bit different than a week after a loss. Is that true? That that's very much so. You, I mean, it is because you know, one, um, when you lose, you're gonna go back and make corrections and stuff. But the light gets a little brighter on the mistakes. Uh, the the coaching points are a little bit more extended in terms of how they may repeat the same issue to you. Um, then when a win, you know, you, it's going to be a little more relaxed in terms of not as anxious of, you know, hey, we got to do this. You know, we got to get better. Well, this is something that you're going to do, but it's just a whole different atmosphere you know and and i think winning creates a better aroma in the room you know it it smells different it smells fresh you know it doesn't smell like gloom it doesn't look like you know gray skies outside you know even though it might be gray skies you can see the bright side but i think for the lines being that they've you know went so long without a win you know some of the close games and heartbreaks that they've had this year Balance through the injuries, getting the win, even at this late stage, I think it's good for the players. But I think for for Dan Campbell's emotion and personal makeup and some of the stresses that I'm sure he's going through as a coach mm-hmm. of carrying the burden that he's carrying, knowing that it's under his leadership that everything's going to fall, I, I was glad to see him get, get some pressure off of it. You know, they I think for for the aspects of any coach or any person, you know, that's that's some weight. Absolutely. And we can no longer, as you put it, you and I 
could go winless in the NFL. We we yeah. could both do that. We can no longer say Dan Campbell is on par with us <laughs> as a coach. <laughs> well, you know, hey, you know, hey, we let's finish strong. Let's oh, like, absolutely. It's just nice let's, to let's see finish him. strong. It's it's nice to be able to say that your head coach has more wins than you, the fan. Yeah, 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 won, yeah. There were still there's still things to complain about. It really was a tale of two halves for these teams. Lions yeah. go into halftime. They're up twenty to six, two hundred and three yards in the third quarter alone, and it started a bit slow. Turnover on downs and a punt. But then we get a touchdown to TJ Hawkinson. We got a touchdown to Brock Wright. And then back-to-back field goals to end the half. Meanwhile, the Vikings, they got two field goals early and then really couldn't get anything going after that. And then it flipped the script in the second half. Is that something that is common in the NFL where it flips in the second half? Well, yes, I mean, because, you know, that's where both teams goes in to make the adjustments that's going to change the tide or increase. I think, you know, because the Lions was having success, it was on the onus was on the Vikings to actually stop them. So they probably made more adjustments. Uh, I think when it comes to the Lions and how they came out in the second half and stuff, you know, you also got to get in that mode of, you know, clearing your mind and starting the half as if it's zero zero. They've never really been ahead like that to the point where they were comfortable with what they were producing on the field. So coming back and getting back in that in that rhythm and, and carrying that momentum is something that or a trait that has to be developed. So, you know, there's a learning lesson for them. They learned out that they came out and didn't really, you know, put their best foot forward because they had already proven in the first half that they could do that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things my dad used to say about football was when you go into the second half in the prevent defense, a lot of the time it can prevent you from winning because you soften up a little bit. You just let things come to you and then you're on the ropes. You're not on the attack. And we almost saw it because the Lions, it was a punt. It was a punt. It was a field goal, an interception, a fumble. And then they're down all of a sudden to the Vikings after three touchdowns. And that's the risk you run. And so that final drive, though, just magic, pure magic. What was your reaction watching that? Well, I, I think, you know, one, because, you know, you are looking, again, at, at pros. You know, you can see anything. And and because expectations are high, you know, again, you, you expect to see good plays, bad plays, you know, and, and, and superior plays, you know. So I just think, you know, for how the game shifted and the adjustments that were being made, you know, different players at different points of the game were playing dominant. You know, I do think that the defense in the second half, when the offense started struggling, you know, they had a lot of pressure on them, you know, and they responded well again, you know, even though that the points that they had held and, and, and listen, you know, 
Minnesota is no slouch as an offense. No. You know, so, so, so when you start talking about a defense really stomping a, uh, an offense when you have to or, or being stiff as a defense to slow it down when you have to, they did do that. You know, so that was a good thing. So that really was, and it was what it's one of those things with the Vikings, and Dan Campbell talked about it in the post-game press conference. We saw that early QB sneak that led to a field goal for the Vikings when the Lions didn't convert. But the reason he went for it there was because he Dan Campbell knows this offense is dangerous, it can score at any time. And they proved it completely in the second half. But thankfully, Jared Goff looked more composed than he has for the entire season on that final drive. He's calling plays at the line of scrimmage. He's making checks. He's doing hot routes. And then Amon Ra St. Brown, the son of Mr. Is it Mr. Olympia? Mr. Worldwide, the bodybuilder. His dad is a world-class bodybuilder. Osiris Saint? No, that's his brother. I I, I can't remember. He's he from the bodybuilding family, I guess. He is, yeah. His, his two brothers play football. His dad's a bodybuilder, and he just showed out. Ten receptions, 86 yards, and the game-winning touchdown. The first touchdown of his career, and... Yeah. Brown after the games called it a full day of work. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, and, and you know what? And, and, and he is the player for me of the game. Um, and, and, and I'm surprised that he hadn't scored because he popped up on our radar early in the season when the you know guys went down. You know, you could see that he had, you know, one the ability of playing at this level. And and I would have thought he would have already scored, but congratulations to him on, you know, on scoring his first touchdown in his career. You got to give your hand the game winner. (laughs) Exactly. You got to tip your cap to the rookie, just game winner, first touchdown. And I think part of the reason is because, Maybe he's been missed on a couple of deep balls that we thought should have been touchdowns, but we're not, we're not going to be upset about that. This is Uh, a a celebration. Amon Ross St. Brown. He is a guy that we can build around for the future, especially when you listen to him in the post game, he is a humble kid talks about how the reason the lions have been so resilient this year is their youth. It's a group of guys committed to building something special. And that's why they haven't folded in the face of adversity. It kind of sounds like what Jerry Ball talked about, that changing of the guard, changing the mentality of the locker room. Yeah, yeah. I think it definitely starts with, you know, guys making plays and doing the things, you know, when it's time to make plays. They say players make plays. So this is a good start for them. Players make plays. Amon Ross St. Brown, the player of the game. But what about Jay and Jay, Jack and Jerry? Nothing goes better than Jack, like Jack and Jerry. It's like PB and J. What is the PB and J play of the day? Because I think it can only be one thing. Go ahead. Yeah, you you get it. Let it me. has to be. 
the game winning touchdown. The Vikings, they play off coverage on the young stud and he just stops on a dime. You hear him break it down in the post game. He knew I have to stop right here. I can't come back to the ball. I have to take my shot and just catch it. And he did it. And we won. Yep. 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 Well, you know, that's that's great awareness and stuff, you know, that he definitely uh understood the situation and what he had to do. And and I would say that of course he is the P B and J play of the day. And for that fact, you know, we have a fragrance that would tell us that he's what we call this is called one million lucky. <laughs> see that? Oh, that's a nice fragrance. Let's see how. Oh man, nice fragrance and stuff. <sighs> oh, I can I think I can smell it through the screen. That is just absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> it looks classy, it smells classy. I don't know. See, I've, I've used a little bit, but the, and it's the big bottle. It's the six point seven ounce bottle, six point eight. So we need plenty. We got plenty of one million lucky for for you. So we need more plays like that. <laughs> we do. Are you telling me that Jerry Ball needs some one million lucky? I don't think Jerry Ball needs any luck. No, 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 no. You know, I, 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 I what I, 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 I'm gonna, I'm sitting with the legend, so I, I got a little bit of that on. But more importantly, for the celebration and stuff, I did have to expand Ooh. my day. We're gonna do a Zeno Platinum. You know, I'm not, we're not being paid for the ad, but this is one of those nice, smooth, it's called the Grandmaster. Now, my favorite Xeno Platinum is the Chubby. But this is actually the Grandmaster, and I'm telling you, for the line, we're going to have a nice little fire up after we're done with the park, Hal. Oh, that is a beautiful looking cigar. It, yes, so sir. Good, so good that the cat came on screen just, just to get a whiff of it through the computer screen my goodness what a i'll send you one <laughs> oh deal jerry absolute deal we can celebrate a a toast to the lions with those beautiful here, here. let's go lions and let's go jared goff so our friend lomas brown he and the staff at the detroit lions youtube page they disagree with us. They gave the player of the game to Jared Goff, and I can understand why. It's a media <clears throat> award, right? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I, I would have given Jared a consolation award as well because he had a great half. He did not throw the game away. He made here and there, but for the most part, he was the winning quarterback. And because of that, I could see that. And, you know, since we are in this culture now of, you know, what we call participation trophies, whereas mm -hmm. you really don't have to win to get a trophy, you know, we give you one because of participation. I guess their, their selection is more based on participation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's one of those things 
the first win of the year, of course the quarterback's going to get the award. That's just the reality of the media world that we live in. Isn't that right, Jerry? Well, I, I think one of the things, too, that we have to say that we're guilty of, we also get the pleasure of seeing so many other teams and quarterbacks like the Patrick Mahomes and, you know, Lamar Jacksons, the Tom Brady's, the Russell Wilson's, you know, that are, you know, lighting it up. And, you know, potentially every every time you step out there, you got a better chance to win than lose because they're at your helm. Whereas with Detroit, we're still trying to, get Jared at that level. So uh, we're a little bit hard on him based on some of the other things that we see other teams benefit from that we would like to have in our state. That's all. <laughs> that That's really all it is. And to Jared's credit, this is now his first victory without Sean McVay because with McVay as his head coach, 42 and 20. With Jeff Fisher, he was 0 and 4. With John Fassel, he was 0-3. Now with Dan Campbell, 1-10-1. Hmm. So, is it the quarterback or the system? That's, uh, that's a question. <laughs> Do we have an answer? Uh, right now, it seems like Sean McVay may have had a system that fit him better if you base it on wins, but at the same time, depends on what the coaches are asking them to do. If they're asking him to win with the, with his arm, that's not he's not Patrick Mahomes. It's important to remember that a lot of those wins under Sean McVay came with Aaron Donald, prime Todd Gurley, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, all of these stars. So it's not like it was a slouch of a roster around him. Well, exactly. Exactly. And so this we can hopefully build from here with Jared. And today, 296 yards passing, three touchdowns, a bad interception where he forced it to TJ Hawkinson when Amon Ross, St. Brown, our guy, was wide open on a crosser thanks to a blown coverage. But is that something that just kind of happens with quarterbacks when they're pressing a little bit, they just go to their guy? Well, sometimes that, that is. And, and and you would believe, I mean, when you're really talking about milliseconds, you know, that can make the difference on whether or not it's a good pass or, or a bad pass. So, what he's seen at the time, his his the motion and how fast things are moving, you know, it was one that he felt he could get in there. So, you know, God, he, he, he's seen it before, I would tell you that. A and quarterback knows the throw that they can make. And he made a couple other beautiful throws throughout the game, too. So he was he was feeling himself that day and. That's one of the things people have talked about with Jared Goff is you can tell early on how he's going to be. The first three yep. drives I've been told. Yep, yep. You know, he, he. it seems like he was a lot more comfortable and free. Like, hell, if I make a mistake, I make it. If You know, and, that's, and sometimes it's the looseness that's required. You know, you can, you know, get, get to – 
tensed up and stuff and shit. Then you're pressing and you're not fluid and you shorten balls or you overthrowing them, you know. So it's it's a lot of things. It's a lot of pressure on the quarterback. I ain't gonna bullshit you. It's no way that you, for anyone to understand a quarterback and what he's under in terms of what he has to do, we could take anybody and put them in a walking situation, let alone people running at you. <laughs> and and you would swapping down that you're being raided, you know, by SWAT or something, just because of the simple fact that you're trying to avoid people walking at you. Try avoid them when they running at you, and you have to find the guy to throw the ball to. <laughs> it's impressive. You know, we just sit up here and we talk as if we're you know, oh, well, we know exactly what it takes. Oh, I know what it is to feel pressure and, and complete the ball and throw it accurately down the field, 35 yards like a razor, and make sure that the DB doesn't get it. I'm going to throw it over the outside shoulder so that the safety can't get over the top and get it. You know, those are some incredible throws that I'm sure we all can make. Nah. <laughs> no. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they have cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price, $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but are just grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in blush pink and beautiful blue as well, as classic white lightbox lab grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off priced so they won't have to they really do make any outfit sparkle visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping that's lightboxjewelry.com lightbox diamonds never a dull moment I guarantee you put me you no pass rush. You put me in a pass skeleton, a seven on seven. I'm not completing a single pass. Everybody except for quarterbacks, people that are they're drilled, they're trained, they understand, they understand it. And it's just one of those skill sets that everyone can't play quarterback. No. And there's a reason for that. And one of the things I'm now wondering is Jared Goff, we saw excelled on that final drive when he was in control of the offense yeah. when he was making the checks at the line of scrimmage. Was that something to do with it? Because, and to Dan Campbell's credit, he was calling a great game early. They were using the two tight end sets. They had touchdown pass TJ Hawkinson, who, by the way, he has now set a, I don't know if it's a record or what you want to call it, but through his first three years with the Lions, he has 12 touchdowns so far. He has now passed the great Charlie Sanders, who had 10 TDs in his first three years and passed Brandon Pettigrew, who had 11. So TJ Hawkinson, in terms of pace, he's doing pretty well. But as we've talked about, it's a lot of, flash without the substance at times yeah well you know i think that it's it's good you know um 
you know, Charlie Sanders is a Hall of Famer. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So first three years, okay. Will he have a sustaining career and, and perform over the years? But congratulations to him because, again, he's a pro, so that means he's one of the best in the world that's doing it. Absolutely. And having those two tight end sets with Hawkinson and Brock, right, it, it seemed to make Goff a little bit more comfortable. And the UDFA right from Notre Dame, Lomas noticed in the post game that the entire team flocked to him. It was the offense. It was the defense. It was the special teams. It was the trainers. Everyone flocked to this young man who was on the practice squad a little over a month ago. So for an undrafted rookie, Lomas was saying to get that reaction, that speaks to the kind of person he's been in the locker room and on the field so far. No doubt. And what that is, is that someone that they can see that has faced some adversity that has overcame and is having a chance to win in their life. And I think that that's what you've seen reflected in those guys, you know, faces and and their responses to it. It's it's humanity. People like to see people who work hard succeed. People get happy when that happens. Yep. And so one of the things, too, that made Dan Campbell's life a little bit easier and could be why these two tight end sets were working is both of the Vikings starting linebackers were out in Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr. So Goff ends up picking on the replacement. He targets Nick Vigil 10 times, gives up eight grabs for 99 yards on the day. And that's that's a veteran quarterback move to notice. This guy is in here now who's usually not. Let's go at him until he can stop us. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that goes toward what I said the last forecast is that, you know, when you know that there's someone that is either young or someone that hasn't had a lot of action or someone that's replacing someone, you, you typically are going to test that person. You're going to see if they really can stand in those shoes. And if they can't, you know, then they're going to get picked on. And I think that Jared and the coordinators and the way that they call the place, you know, had identified who they thought was the duck. It, it was pretty clear in terms of who they were going at. And it was a variety of players. They were getting a Monroe on them. They were getting Hawkinson. They're getting the running. It was just, hey we're beating this guy with everyone until he can stop us. And unfortunately for us, he was unable to, but a time they were able to stop the lions fourth and inches. And that was frustrating. They couldn't convert on the QB sneak. And then later in the game, they tried to pass it on fourth down instead of giving Jamal Williams a, a run up the middle, which Dan Campbell did express regret. He He didn't forget the fourth down call. He said the third down call was the problem. They should have picked it up then. And I know it's hindsight bias. We're we're armchair coaching, but also going forward, they might be without their backup center, who is now their starting center, because he's on the COVID reserve list. So that changes the run game going forward even more. Yeah. 
Well, I think, you know, again, you know, they're being met with a challenge and stuff, and I'm sure they have the protocols and procedures that's going to allow them to to move forward. I do think that, you know, going back to, you know, coaches, you know, decision, you know, you know, again, you make it, you win in that event or that opportunity, you lose sometimes. So that's just another part of the chance and whether or not it favored the prepared. It, it, it's all, all life in the NFL. You just have to adapt and overcome and one move of on. the, and move on. And one of the things the Panthers are moving on from is their offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. Things just couldn't work out. The, the story goes that last year in the COVID year where coaches couldn't really meet, there was a lot of distance, and so th- so there wasn't a lot of friction. Now that Joe Brady and Matt Rule are working together every day, it's a difference of philosophy, and it was untenable at this point, and so he's gone. And now, because the media does what the media does, we're already talking, we're, not we, but people are talking about Joe Brady to Detroit. And I'm thinking... Can we just not? Can we just wait a little bit? We have a couple weeks. We have a month or t- and a half left. Can we wait? Well, he, he, here's the deal. And, and this is, you know, where it does get to some point that even if the Lions were having success and they wanted to make a change, it's now in December as teams start finding out whether or not they're going to, you know, make the playoffs or, you know, guys that feel that their teams might be letting that staff go or the head coach is under the gun that puts, you know, everyone in a suspect aspect in terms of whether or not they're going to be fired kept. Now I have seen some teams like the Minnesota Vikings. There's a defensive line coach that was there with me. That's actually succeeded every coach since there and been a part of the line staff the whole time. Now, when that happens, that means that a coach has elevated himself as being something of not only valuable to the players, but valuable to the organization. And as a communication that he brings that they feel as value. Now, when you get into a scenario where you having coaches change and stuff, those conversations do start early, you know? So how early do they start? They start before the Super Bowl. They start before playoffs, you know, really settled, you know? So eventually toward, I say in the next couple of weeks, it is going to be time for them to start looking at what staff, what coach might get fired. And you'll see coaches get fired from now to the end of the year. Because they're at their end. They'll they'll let it be ran by an interim coach and weather the storm for the remainder of the season. Now, the real question, which, you know, I've heard, you know, things like from that as well as the, the coach down at Cincinnati, University of Cincinnati, they talking about bringing him to, to the Lions. Yeah. That, that they're shooting pretty high, bringing Luke Fickle from uh, the from Cincinnati to coach offense, but well, yeah, but that, but again, it, it starts early, yeah, you know, and, and a guy like that, you know, is already going to be the man in college 
at the college level. You did you see what this coach just got and in pay? Hell, I wouldn't necessarily want to coach goddamn pro. Excuse my language. <laughs> the, the coach that left Notre Dame and came to LSU, what he's making fifteen million a year. He's making fifteen. Huh? The guy the at kid, uh, Michigan USD. State. Got, the guy from Michigan State didn't he just get a, a ten million dollar a year type job or more something like that? Yes, he did. You know, uh, so shit. Do I do I want a coach pro? Shit. <laughs> USC is giving Lincoln Riley over fifteen million a year. They bought both of his houses in Oklahoma, <laughs> and and and. You just know there's stuff going on behind the scenes at USC in California. Tell them that I am available at a discount. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get Jerry. What, what, what position does Jerry Ball want on this staff? What, what, what's your title going to be that we're going to create? Head coach. Head coach. Our, oh, all right. Head coach at head USC. Coach. Jerry Ball. Head, 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 head coach. You know, now what? What you, the better question is, as head coach, what kind of offense am I going to run and what kind of defense am I going to run? Because that's where the strength of what a coach is going to bring to the table, his management skill, and what is your strategy? All, All right. right. All right. And and so what's the answer to those two questions? Well, I'm going to do a little zone blocking on the offensive line in my run game and stuff, but I'm also going to mix it up with a little power run so okay. that it's not going to be so much lateral finesse as much as it's going to be power blocking with the with it. But I'm going to also have some vertical wide receivers so that at the same time I make you come up in that box, we're going to wear you out in that scene and make sure that your DBs can hold our guys one-on-one. -on -one. And we're not going to have, like, go get one receiver. We expect to have four deep that can start on any team. So what we're going to look for are big receivers that are quick. We're going to look for receivers that can move in the slot. And we're going to look for running backs that can run routes and that can catch balls in and out of the backfield. Secondly, on the defensive side, we're going to build more of a 4-3 defense and use same type of techniques that Belichick and them use where we're doing 34 partially in the middle to control the middle for the run. Then we're going to have on the outside a lot of pressure with the outside rushers. And then we're going to stack inside great linebackers like the Ray Lewis's and the Singletary's that can play solid run defense but also have the ability of covering passes. Then as it relates to my special teams, I'm going to probably go get me someone like a Frank Gans Jr. to come in and, and drill my gunners. You know, and in that, we're going to talk about making big plays. We're going to make sure that everyone understands what their job and responsibility. And every player that's on the team will have to be in special teams. Depending on what your skill set is, everyone has a role to play. And it's going to be all hands on deck. You, you had me sold at every player is going to the special teams meeting. That is the difference. And I'm glad you brought up Belichick because you're talking about that offense. Okay. We're doing, we're doing some inside zone. We're doing some zone run. We're doing some power. We're doing, we're stretching. I feel this is sounding a lot like Belichick where he's going to beat you physically and speed wise and yeah. technique wise. And then you talk about the defense and Oh yeah. Jerry ball is a student of the yeah. game and yeah. a student of bill Belichick. 
Yeah. Now I would only want to be the head coach for one year at 15 million a year, and then I'll have Aaron Glenn as the assistant head coach, and he'll succeed me. So there, you you not only get me, but I give you a succession plan at the same time. Oh, <laughs> perfect. And I'm I'm sure we we can uh, add some bonuses yeah. based on the wins that you get. And uh, well. I would rather you give me a bonus based on how fast I could leave the leave the building. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and you know what? Uh, it, it's almost a commission, right? Because you recruited Aaron Glenn, so all the wins he gets, uh, maybe Jerry gets a little bonus per per win of the guy he signed as a as a little thank you. Hey, I tell you what, I, I'll send the address. That way, you can put it in the mail mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. So any of those college teams looking for a guy, Jerry Ball will do it for you for one year. One, one year, year contract, 15 million. And he, he, Jerry, when he has that defense running for you, he's going to have his guys playing like Charles Harris was on Sunday. Two sacks his first two sack career game of his career. He also had two hits. He had three hurries. He was completely unblockable. And the Vikings were missing their left tackle, Christian Derrissaw. So they took their right guard, Ollie Udo, and they moved him from right guard to left tackle. They've now weekend two positions. Charles Harris took absolute advantage of it, but, the Vikings have a history of doing this where they'll move players around on the O-line and it often comes back to bite them. What are your thoughts on that? Is is that something you approve of or is that something teams should try to avoid moving well, the starters? Well, he, he, here's the reality of the game of football. First of all, we're playing a gladiator sport. And in a gladiator sport, you're talking about men that are literally – fighting in a controlled manner where you're allowed to hit a man a certain way and you're not allowed to hit him another way. You also are trying to put that man on the ground because on the ground, he can cause no harm and, and he can stop or not prevent anything from happening, be it a running play or even on the defensive side. Now, once you do that, okay, you're literally in a battle to get to the ball as a defensive player. So you got 10 other guys that are actually doing the same thing, trying to get to the same ball carrier. The reward goes to the person that gets the tackle. All right. So he had a good game. Now, when an offensive lineman has to actually play another position, it isn't because always – plan sometimes it is because of injury but with all teams it would be necessary to make sure that your backups is as prepared as your starters but more importantly that your backups be able to fill in at more than one position because you never know who will go down so it's not unlike a team to have players that can step in and play different roles at different sides or move to a different position because you prepare. But remember, this is also a gladiator sport. So when you're talking the inside game from lineman to lineman, you know, we hand to hand. So when you're playing 
left tackle is a little different than playing right tackle because of how your eyes and the technique and the way that you're working it. But when you're playing on the inside, that doesn't vary as much when you start talking about left guard, right guard, because you're talking about protecting two sides. All right. And the only thing difference is the stance or your hand and your hand placement when it's on the ground. But essentially what you're doing once you raise your hand off the gate, it's the same regardless on both sides. It's just you might have some different responsibilities based on the strength calls versus the weaknesses of the defense based on sets, alignments and things like that. But every team should be prepared. Every defensive lineman should be prepared to play anywhere on the line. Anywhere on the line or anywhere or an increase of snaps. You got to be ready to go at a moment's notice, which we saw from Aleem McNeil career high, 43 snaps, not bad from the big man up the mid middle and Dan Campbell. He gave a little tip of the cap to Mr. McNeil for his performance on Sunday. Well, actually, you know, the one thing about it, and Lomas and I talked about this last week, you know, the one thing about it, they do play hard. I give them. They play hard. You know, they didn't always break for them. You know, 43 snaps is definitely, you know, a good bit of snaps for a nose guard. Now, typically what happens, you're averaging somewhere around 60, 62 plays a game, just total defense unless it's just lopsided on time management. It was times in the lines where, hell, we were playing 80 plays a game, and I was playing like 65 plays. You got to be pretty tired after that. What? Man, I would go home and, you know, during the time I was married, of course, at that time, and I would literally put trash bags – the heavy contractor bags in my bed and I would buy ice bags. Okay. And lay on my bed and have ice built around me. (laughs) Thighs, sides, and on my back because it just from the pain and to make sure that I could control the swelling from the bruising. A little that's what that that's what that's what you don't see, you know, at all. You know, that's what you don't see. No you kidding. Know? A a outline like they do for uh for when they do on the sidewalk, a little chalk outline of the Oh person. no, I don't want no out, chalk out outline. Of, <laughs> out of out of ice though. That, no, that but is, but yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And and sometimes it, it would I would fall on – now, one thing about when you're on ice, you're not supposed to lay on it more than 15, 20 minutes. It, it was times that I had – I was in so much pain, but it was soothing me so much that I, I literally would fall asleep on it. And I would wake up, and in my thighs and the areas where I might have it, it would be so hot because all of the blood from my body trying to protect itself – has went to that area. And if nobody has ever had that experience, it will trip you up to feel how hot your body, but it also lets you know how how miraculous your body is and how it protects itself. Because, I mean, when I say fall asleep, I'm on ice two, three hours. And all, and 
And, yeah, and my hamstrings and my side man had so much blood that I had to get up and literally sit up so that my circulation and everything could come back because I was lightheaded and all that. But anyway, long short, man, we playing a physical game. This is a physical game, just real talk. <laughs> and that's the stuff you don't see from NFL players, the true modern day gladiators. No question. No question. And it wasn't just uh, Aline McNeil either. Levi on Wuzurike, the other rookie defensive lineman, he sets a career high with 48 snaps. And so one of the things that I find interesting about this time of year is the college season is ending. So these rookies, they anything after this point is more games than they've ever played in their life, more than likely. And to see these two not only maintain as the season goes on, but really step up at that point. There's no rookie wall that these two have hit and it's, it's exciting. But is that something you've seen throughout your career where people hit that rookie wall when the college season kind of starts wrapping up because they're not ready for the rigors of the NFL? Well, because it's, I would say that, yes, there is a mental aspect of um, the monotony of doing the same thing over and over every week, every week, and still doing the same thing, same thing. When you start playing the games, that give you the break in the mental capacity. So you're going from week to week. And eventually, as you get past that 10th and 11th game, when the college season is starting, then that's when you start seeing who the real thoroughbreds are in the room. Because now what's separating you is the person that has the stamina and the conditioning now to fight for 60 minutes, okay, at the highest level because everybody gets better. So some rookies hit that plateau and they don't know how to hit that second gear, but it's three gears. It's the, the beginning of the season to get it going. Is that that game 10, 11, and 12 is when you're hitting that plateau to finish the last quarter of that season strong. And then it's that last gear. And that's when you get in the playoffs. In the playoffs, everyone becomes zero and zero. It don't matter if they won 15 and one or if they was nine and seven. When you walk out there, you have to play them as if it's straight board, zero, zero, and they're the best that you're to face today. And you got to kick in that third gear, you know? So rookies... You know, some adjust by the second year. Yeah, they know how to condition themselves. They understand now mentally the pre the preparation and the monotony of the same routine over and over, you know, and then they become better pros. And then once you learn how to be a pro, then it's a cakewalk, actually, you know, if you, as long as you're performing on the field, but I'm talking about the requirements, you know, the things you're committed to, your scheduling, how to set your schedule in that schedule so that you can still have not, you're never going to have a regular life in the NFL season. 
You're just not. But to allow you to do some of the normal things, you know, you learn how to work your schedule. But again, that's long-winded, but... Year you know. nine, Jerry had it a lot more figured out than year three, Jerry, in terms of managing his time. Well, I was married as a junior in college, all right? Mm. So when I came into the pros, I already had a mouth to feed and a wife, all right? So I didn't have no no extra time to figure out. I had to go get some milk on my way home from practice. <laughs> <laughs> I had to stop and pick up something, you know, but I made sure, honestly, when I bought my first home in Detroit in Bloomfield Hills, I lived seven minutes from the stadium and in between my house and the stadium, there was a grocery store, a hardware store and all the little things that I needed so that when the winter came, I didn't have to do anything but just go right up the street back and forth. Before <laughs> that, Jerry was thinking when he bought his house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I got as close as I could to to work. Yeah, as as you said, the thoroughbreds show at this time of year who is meant for the NFL. And Justin Jefferson, we will, even though the Lions won, we'll we'll give some credit to the Vikings as well. They fought hard. They deserve some credit. And Justin Jefferson, 11 balls, 182 yards, and a touchdown. And he set the all-time record last year for most receiving yards as a rookie. He is probably going to have more yards this year. But you played with the former holder of that record, Randy Moss. And I, I'm not comparing the two, but just... The well, you have to. You really have hate. to because, because both of them being drafted by the Vikings. Mm-hmm. All right. So that gives them both the same starting point. All right. We could talk about Chris Carter, but Chris wasn't drafted by the Vikings. All right. But these two players started at zero with the Vikings and both performed at a high level early in their career. So it is very fair to compare them to Randy Moss. Historic. But but again, you know, I can he sustain it over the same period of time? You know, I played with probably one of the greatest, which is a friend, one of the greatest receivers that I've ever played against was named Sterling Sharp, Shannon Sharp. And Sterling was the first receiver that is consistently putting up 100 yard, 100 catch seasons consistently before anybody else was doing it. He was the only person really doing it. And I would say that only I would probably only put Jerry Rice ahead of him during that that period of time. Um, But a neck injury shortened his career. So, you know, you have some luck. You know, you have some guys that don't, you know, have it, you know, paying out the way that they thought. But I would say that Jefferson is a good receiver. You know, there's no doubt about it. When he goes out there, you have to you have to count him. You have to pay attention where he is, you know, and but really not surprised that he caught 10 balls neither, though. Honestly. No, he is a phenomenal talent and 
The thing that stood out to me most when the Vikings drafted Justin Jefferson, I heard an interview with them and he was asked, how does it feel to be a member of the Minnesota Vikings? And he, all he could say was, I'm just stressed out because I'm not allowed to move because of COVID. I just want to join my team. I just want to work out with my team. I just want to get there and put in the work. And that's all he could talk about was, can, can I just move to Minnesota? Can I move to Minnesota? Get, get me there. He is dedicated. He's got that mentality, and it's exciting to see from him. And we're, we're going to see a lot of him over the next couple of years against the Minnesota Vikings. But yeah, yeah, we actually, hell, we need something like that in our camp now. Yes, we do. And hopefully, uh, you know, we've got we've got some draft picks coming up here in the next couple of years. We've got uh, some money to spend as well. So, uh, you know what? I wish I wish that the pro system was like the transport portal. in college. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you don't like it over there? Just come on over here. We got you. Bring the contract. We'll pay it. (laughs) <laughs> who, who would Jerry Ball be recruiting right now? Number two, top, top, wh- whatever you want to give the, the guys Jerry Ball is going after for the transfer portal. Oh man, I'm either I'm gonna go either Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes, but probably Patrick Mahomes because of age. Mm. All right, all right, because I feel that I would have to have some time to put the pieces to get it fine tuned, but I believe I could win quicker with him at the helm. Then, as it relates to, like, um, I like, you know, the big back Chubb over there in Cleveland. I'll be trying to get him in because that'll give me a ball control like running back, right, with a guy that can throw the ball. Then I got to give me some speed at the wideout, right? So you know I'm going to tell Patrick while he's driving by to pick up Tyreek. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be our slot guy. And then on the outside, we're going to go on over there to Seattle and get number 14. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we might even swing back by and pick up Jefferson just so that we got a good third receiver. All right. I just think about Jefferson, our third receiver. Right? (laughs) Now, now on defense, you know I'm going to get Aaron, right? Of course. But I'm also going to go back and get Sue. Ooh, All right, and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put I'm gonna I'm gonna put Sue at the nose and tell him, listen, you don't have to make a tackle. Just like Belichick told me, Jerry, all we want you to do is plug this middle and don't let them run in this middle. That's your job. And I'll tell Sue, I don't care what you do, you just maul him and make sure nobody runs in the middle. Now, Aaron. You go get them. Now, just on those two on the inside, that's going to make sure that those tackles have to deal with one-on-one blocks. So on the outside, we're going to put Khalil Mack on one end. All right, all right. All right, and then the rest of it, he's going to get the he's going to get the change. So it don't matter who's going to be on the other side. <laughs> you know, so so those are the type of players that I'm going to snatch. As a matter of fact, I, I'll read. As a matter of fact, won't you send me their numbers and I'm gonna call them now and see if we can't just get it worked out now. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk to the people. I believe I'm sure they can find a way to get that to happen. And yeah, we can, I'm we sure. Can, 
We can start the petition right here on the Believe in Lions podcast to open up an NFL transfer portal. And Jerry hey, is the star hey, recruiter. And, and look, and, and just so that I can make sure that we're going to break the mold, with, and, and I'm getting these players for the Lions, right? Oh, of course, of course. Okay, I, I'm going to go get Antonio Brown. Ooh. We're going to break the mold. That the 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 person we gonna break the mold. We we gonna break the mold. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the complete opposite of the corporate America Detroit Lion that we've seen for so long. Well, you know we're not. We're talking football. Oh, for sure. I'm not. We're only talking football. I'm going to get football players. I'm not asking him to come be a division head. I'm not I'm not asking him to even manage the water bar. I just want him to come over here, catch balls, and score touchdowns. That's it. <laughs> it's just football. And that's yeah, the yeah. attitude of Michigan Wolverines defender Aiden Hutchinson, who has really taken off these past couple weeks. I don't know how much Michigan you've watched, but they beat Ohio State, which was incredible. Big. It, yeah, big, big for Harbaugh for sure. Yeah, and then now they're number two team in the country heading to the college football playoff. And Hutchinson sounds like a mini Dan Campbell. He was talking about how we went two and four. Everyone had to invest in our culture. Everyone did, but it's not possible without all 130 players investing. That sounds like a Dan Campbell type of player. And I, I it's too early to start talking draft. I, I understand that. But my question about this being a Michigan player, is that something teams look at is keeping the in-state players in the NFL? Because uh, the only time I've, I've truly seen it was Joe Burrow with Ohio. Yeah. Well, here's the deal, you know, the draft is all chance. Yeah. You don't know if the team that's in your locale is going to even be in position to draft the person. So when it happened, it is truly by the luck of all of the things that's being decided so far in, in the past, but in the future, like right now, the draft pick in the future will be determined by what's going on now, which then will be the past. to clarify what i'm saying you know so right now we don't know if he would be in position well we do kind of know the lines are going to be down low but you don't know if another team is going to move up Mm -hmm. all right or the team that won and feel he can fall down to them and they trade down. So it's just so many different things before now and then. And again, I think the Lions have to draft the best player on the board first. Quarterback-wise, you know, I'm going to just be honest with you. I think what Belichick is doing with the rookie quarterback is because there's a familiarity with the system. 
what Nick Saban and Bill Belichick run are similar systems. So his convergence into a new system or learning curve wasn't as steep as it would be for another player that comes from a different system that fits the profile of what they're trying to do with their offense. So it's just one of those things where you got chance, you got what happens now that's going to dictate how it's decided in the future, but you never know what a team is going to do based on if they hire a new coach who now wants that type of quarterback or, you know, it's just too many variables, too many right now. That's, it's so early, even at the combine, which is in February, March, even that's too early. Most of the time it's, well, it's so much. No, it's okay. Just so much can happen is all I was going to say. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that every position has to be evaluated in every position, no matter, even if you have an all-pro, you have to look to see what else is out there because at some point, their clock is going to expire too. So if you got Barry Sanders and he's in his eighth year, you got to start looking at a back. You got to start looking at bringing a backup that might be able to carry the load because as he gets older, you don't know if he's going to sustain injury, how fast he will recover, but you don't want your offense to fall. So you got to have that secession in place. And every team has to deal with secession in mind. It's it's both a short-term and a long-term game in the NFL. You have to take it day by day, but you also have to look way ahead into the future. But we can also look to the past, and I have to know when you've both played for and played on the Minnesota Vikings, who is the baddest player that Jerry Ball has been associated with? So when you played for the Lions, who was your strongest competition? And I think I know your answer for the baddest man you played alongside. All right. Well, I would say as a lineman, I'm going to really split it between two of their players because it was always in tandem that they blocked me. But I would also face these guys one-on-one, -on -one and they were tough competitors. I say pound for pound between Damone Dawson and Kurt Laudermilk. And I tell people this all the time, that Kurt Laudermilk was one of the toughest son of a bucks that I've ever played against. This guy was about 260. I'm 300 pounds. If I punch him in the mouth, he going to hit me in the mouth. If I elbow him in the ribs, he going to elbow me in the ribs. The one thing I knew about Kurt Laudermilk is that if I wanted to fight, he was going to be ready to fight. So I made sure I was ready. But then he had some damn help. And where Randall McDaniel, Randall McDaniel, I say is probably the best offensive guard that I've ever played in football in my life. Uh, and, and, and I mean that. We played against each other in college. That was the first time I experienced it because, again, here's a guy that would that looks small in his uniform, but he's, he's goddamn so strong that, you know, 
he probably played like he was a guy six six four hundred pounds, but all chiseled muscle because that's how strong he played. But I would say he probably was the baddest and best offensive lineman I've ever played with or against. All right. Now, Lomas Brown is the best left tackle I ever played with. Mm-hmm. Kevin Glover is the best center I ever played against. You know, because Glover was athletic and stuff. They didn't give him a lot of kudos and stuff. But Kevin Glover was a guy. Oh, yeah. Now, if you ask me who was the the baddest guy that I played with, that I played next to. I think I know the answer there. Well, he wore this number right here. Mm-hmm. Yep, right there, 93. And his name is John Randall. Johnny, actually, um, when the Vikings brought me in, what's crazy is that I retired and the Kansas City Chiefs called me first. They wanted to sign me and I, you know, went, took a physical form. Um, But the only reason why I didn't really want to go to the Kansas City Chiefs is because Two of my best friends in football, as it relates to defensive linemen, were Dan Salamore and Joe Phillips. Joe Phillips and I played at SMU together. And then Dan Salamore and I both were rookies together, drafted by the Lions. But the Chiefs was signing me, and they were going to fire one of them. Mm. So I wasn't going to take a job that took took my friend's job when I'm at home retired and they've been, you know, working. And good for you for having that uh, conviction. Yeah. Well, those are real friends though. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, so, you know, had I been out there competing and had myself ready to go and things like that, and they brought me in early and things like that's one thing, but to bring me in and I know that if you sign me, you're going to cut one of my friends. Nah. Yeah. So, so when um, Minnesota called me, I got two calls. It was from Andrew Glover, which you go by Poncho. Them folks, man, what's up? And then Chris Carter. And, you know, word has it is that when uh, Denny and, and a couple of players were talking about the couple of pieces that they needed, they said that they needed uh interior lineman, uh nose guard that could slow the rundown, and they needed a cornerback because they had drafted one corner. His name was Corey Fuller, but they needed someone on the other side because that was really where the hole was, those two positions. So the guys knew that I had retired, but they also knew that I could still play. So Chris Carter called me. He's like What's up, big fella? Now, Chris and I, our first time ever meeting were was when we were in college. He was a sophomore and I was a junior. We were on the Playboy All-American team together and we met in Miami. Ooh, that, I'm sure that's that our was first time, time ever meeting. Yeah. So I'm sure, we're not, then, I'm sure we're not allowed to hear many of those stories from uh, the. Oh, uh, man. Listen, Chris has told some of those stories and I told him, you can't tell it all, brother. Don't tell it all. <laughs> 
Yeah, he, he he came to me when we were in the locker room. He said, "JB, I'm gonna write write this book, man, and I'm gonna write you know what happened in Miami." I'm like, "Chris, don't put me in that damn book." <laughs> Look, but anyway, so um, uh, so Chris calls and he says. Hey, big fella, what's going on? I'm like, hey, now what's up, Chris? You say, hey, man, look, man, you, you know, we, big fella, look, man, we can compete. And what was important for me is that at this stage, I'm, I've been played 10 years. I only want to go to a team that I compete. Other than that, I don't, I ain't going out here and, and beating my body up, you know, in a losing effort starting, you know? So, so honestly, this is the honest to God truth. From the time of the last game with the Raiders, the only exercising I had done was on the golf course with cigars, Patron, and beers. The whole offseason. Mm -hmm. Now, when they're calling me, it's the fourth game of the season. All right? All right. <laughs> so, so right off, I'm not in shape. You calling me, and you guys had had training camp, and you already playing your fourth game. So they were playing Green Bay the next day, and um, I said, "All right, I'll watch it." So the next day, I'm watching the game, and it's twenty-one shit house, meaning twenty-one nothing. So I didn't got on my, I had my treadmill upstairs. So I'm on my treadmill watching the game just in case. I'm like, let me check my win. And I'm like, shit, let me stop here. 21 shit house. I cut off the treadmill. I cut off the game. And I went on back out and started picking up my activities where I left off. I'm like, I ain't going to play for them. That's what I felt. So about 10 o'clock that night, I get a call, and it's Chris and Andrew Glover. They're still traveling because getting in and out of Green Bay ain't as easy as people think. So it's like, big fella. I'm like, what's up? He said, what you think? I was like, man, what do you mean? What do I think, man? When I seen the game, y'all was getting your ass handed to you. He said, come on, big fella. You know it ain't how it starts. He said, what's the score? And then I looked at my phone, and they had won the game. I'm like, okay, okay. So y'all got some fighting, literally, literally. So the next day, Denny Green said, hey, big, hey, Jerry, you know, we're calling, you know, want to bring you in for a physical? So I go in for a physical. They say, okay, well, we're going to sign you to a contract. I said, okay. So the next day, I actually go out to practice for the first day. I hadn't ran in shit now seven, eight, seven months at least. And I'm doing drills and I couldn't, I'm doing the drills and I'm saying like, what the hell are you doing out here? These guys that went through training camp, they in shape. I'm sure they looking at me saying, now what is his fat ass, out of shape ass going to do for us? He can't even make it down and back without <laughs> collapsing. That's how I felt. But I, but you know, you got something in you. What's in you is in you, right? Mm -hmm. So out of my heart, I fought through it, fought through that first practice. So when we go to the second practice, I'm not as winded 
and I got into the plays and they start seeing that, oh, oh. Then the next thing you know, I go from third to second team. And by the time Saturday come, they say, okay, you're going to start tomorrow. And I go from on my couch last, the last week to starting the next week in the NFL. Fifth game of the season, whole off season off, no running. And they threw my, so they tell me, they say, well, we're going to play you about 15, 20 plays and let you, you know, play your way into shape. I'm like, okay, cool. So right off, I know, well, hell, I can fight anybody for 15 plays. So we get around 20 plays because I'm counting them in my head. <laughs> you know, because I know I got to hit them with everything I got right now. So it's around 40 plays when they pull me out, like what my man. Now, remember, no training camp, no nothing. So I, I was talking to the coach, Andre Patterson, the one I spoke about earlier. I was like, Dre, man, I say, damn, man. I thought y'all said I was going to play 15, 20 plays, and then y'all was going to rotate me. He's like, hell, man. Then he told us, goddamn, he better than anything we've had so far. So until he faint or fall out, leave him in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a month into the season. No yeah. camp. No camp. No. And when I literally say I didn't, only thing I lift was my golf bag. Bottles of Patron, my cigars. Because I was, I retired. I was done. I was, mm -hmm. In my mind, I'm not going to play anymore. My kids, my first of all, one reason is because I want to be here when my oldest daughter was entering in college. I mean, high school. So I go back and I play. So now when I do retire, my daughter is actually going into a junior year. And the Vikings offered me for two years after I retired the second time to come back every year. And I'm like, no, I, I, I'm going to stay with my daughter. I said, look, I didn't chase my dream. I said, now nah, I need to help her get hers. And I said, what's important right now is that I'm with my child before she leaves my home. And that's what was important to me at the time. And then after 13 years of playing in NFL, I had already had a, a full career. You know, and, almost, and I and I was okay. Two full careers at that thirteen years. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, but I just accounted as being blessed. No matter if it was one or thirteen, you know, I was able to do that, and and I have no regrets, absolutely none. But that's a long wind way of just telling a little story before we got out of here. No, absolutely, and we are happy to hear that story. Um, we're glad you have no regrets about your playing career, and I'm sure the Detroit Lions have no regrets about how they played on Sunday. Well, no, they should not. All we need now is to finish the rest of the season like that, and then that way we can take the momentum into the next season and everyone can have a very enthusiastic offseason with promising and hope and everything looking forward to continuing this run. And then we go out here and we draft us the next Barry and Calvin and Lomas and Spielman and Blades and all in one draft. Woo! Let's go Lions. I cannot wait. And remember, we are undefeated 
in the month of December right now. One oh. and yeah, O. Oh. Just happened to be my birth month, so it, it would probably be like that. It's, it's, it's a winner's. It's a winner's month. <laughs> it's a winner's month. It's a good time to be born, and it's a good time to be a lion, and it's a good time to check out Bet Online, who sponsor the show. And with that, any final thoughts? Any pluggables to plug, Jerry? I just want to say congratulations to Mrs. Ford and the new owner, Mrs. Ford, and her family, the Lions family, you know, enjoy the win. And I'm happy for the fans, for the team, for the players, for the coach. And I'm happy for those of us that believe in the Lions. One, two, three. We We believe. believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. I love the Lions. Say it with me. I love the Lions. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.